What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Off the Top. Um, with today being a March podcast, we wanted to dive into something that a lot of you guys, I'm sure, are eagerly awaiting and have your brackets ready for. We're going to be talking about some March Madness in uh, college basketball. Yeah, um, today is also the day that we sprang forward one hour, which I was not expecting. Um, but yeah, we're going to talk college basketball and some different hot topics that have been around the scene or just college athletics and uh, relate it to March Madness. And hopefully you get some insight on some of the stuff that goes down in college athletics. Yeah. So I just want to start off by saying uh, March Madness is one of my favorite times of year, especially being a college basketball fan, just because of the excitement of what's going on these kids are playing for the love of the game and some of them are playing to keep their careers alive too so there's a lot on the line for these kids and you could definitely see it in their play yeah and i think the the atmosphere of march madness keeps on growing with the growth of technology you can watch it on your phone your tablet people watch it at school in class or in the bathrooms there's always updates everywhere about it you could win millions of dollars for getting the best bracket in the world. Um, you can make bets with your friends. You could do all these different strategies and pick teams by colors or pick teams by players or, you know, letters or whatever people do. It's always interesting to see that dynamic, but it's something that is kind of exciting over that time of March. Yeah. And I mean, like you were saying about picking, uh, in the past, there's been quite a few tournaments and contests of actually picking the winner where you can win some serious cash i know berkshire hathaway did one where i believe the winner won a billion dollars and granted guys picking the perfect bracket is the probabilities of doing that is like getting struck by lightning twice yeah the, the, the amount of teams i mean you have four divisions of uh 16 teams that break down all the way into you know the final four top one so for each team you have a whole complete set of different options that takes the number one or the 16 seed and you know the northwest to win the championship there's so many things that can change and so many variables that um once we find this number and tell you the probability of winning a bracket it, it should make sense yeah absolutely and i mean like you said you got to pick a winner and then once you, if you pick that right winner, then you have to pick the right matchup that they're going to go against and so on and so on in the future until it gets to a point where everything is set out in the perfect place. Do you happen to have that number, by the way? Yeah, the number is a little bit larger than I was expecting, but I'm just going to kind of round it off at one in 9.2 quintillion. Um, so that's a lot. That's a whole lot of options. I don't know if I think if you're in your average lifetime, say you live to 71, this is from a YouTube video I just saw you live 2 trillion seconds. So there are by far a lot more options than you'd have to pick at one per second or yeah, one bracket per second at that point. Wow. Well, if that doesn't show you why Berkshire Hathaway did that, then, um, <laughs> I don't know what will. Yeah, that's crazy. And I think, too, if I got the perfect bracket and I won 
say the I think the average I hear is a million. There's probably yeah, Berkshire Hathaway is probably one of the top dogs that does a ton of money. But I would be kind of upset if I won if my odds were that good and I won the March Madness with a perfect bracket. Is I'd rather I'm not saying you can choose where you win, but I'd rather win like a Powerball jackpot than just a million dollars for a perfect bracket. Yeah, but at the same time, I would say that you playing the odds and winning that, it shows a lot more about your skill as well. And granted, you know, winning a Powerball would be awesome. But, uh, and also I do think that it was more than a million dollars. Let me double check on that. Yeah, I just know, I know ESPN's is a million. Uh, Berkshire Hathaway probably was around a billion. Or I've heard like Warren Buffett put up hundreds of millions, so individuals. Um, but the big one a lot of people enter is the million dollar one through ESPN or like CBS Sports or something. Um, yeah, I don't, as much as I say there's like skill to picking a bracket, at a certain point there's like a lot of luck that happens because you're relying on teams of 10 players and at each individual characteristic to help them push over just based on your your time frame you know yeah exactly so i just did some quick checking and i was incorrect on that statement but what it is this year specifically for all you bracket fillers is if you fill out the perfect bracket and submit to berkshire hathaway's contest you will get a million dollars yeah a year for the rest of your life yeah, that's uh, that's like I mean, saying the average life is seventy two. I have fifty, like fi- equivalently fifty million dollars coming that way, which is a ton of money. At, nice at those payments too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, Julian, do you specifically have a team that you're pulling for, or you know, some Cinderella teams that you think might make a run? Um, I haven't really watched college basketball this year. Or paid attention. I just know there's been. A ton of number one seeds, a bunch of teams losing and getting upset. I'm not too sure who's still in the NCAA and didn't like transfer to the NBA and like if the big names I'm hearing about, if their teams are actually good or not. So I'm just shooting from the hip on this one and seeing what damage I can do. Gotcha. So personally, me, I think that uh, Xavier's looking strong coming in and I know a few people will be like, well, actually you know x y and z but i just like the the team itself the dynamic i mean they've they know how to win especially when it comes to winning tournaments and you know beating matchups and stuff like that so if i had to pick a team uh and that's not me putting a lot of stock in that but i i could see xavier going in again yeah yeah, there's. I mean, there's just so many options between teams that are like veteran loaded and college, which is pretty rare, or you have teams that you know have like good dynamic or rolling well. It's always a difficult choice to uh, pick the team or have an idea of the top four teams, which it seems to get really hard for me. I'm like, well, maybe, uh, but I only make one bracket. I don't. I mean, I could make multiple, but I just make one, and that's my one. You know. Hmm. Yeah. And I, I would believe that a lot of people do that, but then you see the people that, you know, make, well, this is the Cinderella bracket, or this is the bracket for my favorite colors, <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so I was reading something that says March Madness on average, or sign a contract with CBS in 2007 for $10.8 billion, um, like a TV contract, and that March Madness on average brings in 
900 million to a billion dollars just for the month of March in revenues. These are revenues, not profits. Um, which is, I think it's a crazy amount of money for, um, college athletics or just this month in general. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's an insane amount of money. And to think about it and how the business is set up and, you know, everything as far as endorsements go, as far as how you make that money with playing basketball games with college players, uh, it's quite extraordinary to think about that, uh, you know, college sports in this specific, you know, basketball or like men's basketball is so huge. Yeah, and it's interesting too because college football is giant, but I don't think it does nearly the same numbers as March Madness does for the time it's going and the TV networks that's always on or streaming or um, the content that's being published or the ads being pushed through is um, something significant for you know a college sport. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it just shows like the magnitude of you know who follows it how the fans feel about it and how the endorsers feel about it too, because they put their money where they think the fans are going to be. So, I mean, it's just a chain reaction of, you know, this anticipated hype, so to speak of this event, especially in March itself. I mean, throughout the whole year, you'll get revenues, you'll get endorsers and everything, but in this kind of the little time slot of the year, uh, it's, it's literally it's March Madness. <laughs> yeah. And I guess I could see that how it alludes to the recent scandal in NCAA sports is um, certain programs have been probed by the FBI for um, paying players or bribing players to commit to play at their school. So some bribes could have been like, you know, a free a couple free meals or a free hotel or like actual dollar amounts ranging from like 2000 to a hundred thousand dollars, which, um, based on a lot of the reports I saw, none of it's going directly to the players, but coaches are influencing their parents or the people around them with like, yeah, your, your athlete is really good and we'd really like them here. So we'll help you out by giving you X and Y, if you can, you know, kind of leverage him to come here or them to come here. Yeah. And you, Especially now, because it's more prevalent than usual. I mean, there's always murmurs about that stuff. But now that there's been actually some uh, significant findings, it makes you kind of reflect and look back on how it's kind of set up. And understandably so, uh, it makes these players make a lot of money. So, you know, for your program to be as successful as possible, you want to get those players who have the most hype or have, you know, a lineage behind their name, uh, things like that. And also it it shows that, you know, the the dynamic and the dialogue of college players should be paid uh, definitely comes into a different light when you hear about, you know, people getting recruited to go to X, Y, or Z school and also get some sort of dollar incentive or other incentives as well. Yeah, and I think that the narrative of college athletes being paid is becoming more and more um, talked about as, you know, media and technology rises. And, like, someone like me who's not anywhere near related to the NCAA, 
the company of the NCAA sports division or whatever that is, but I can just go onto Google and find out the size of contracts they're getting and like their revenues. And within like 30, like 30 seconds, I didn't even, most of these numbers that I've come up with, I found while we're all Jordan's talking and that it's just really easy to find as, you know, 20 or 30 years ago, you weren't finding this information about how much money um, the NCAA was really making or articles really weren't being released like the one recently that the NCAA just broke um I think a, a billion in revenues or something some other division just broke like a billion dollars in revenues for them um and you're just getting all these other articles about the number figures coming in and I think it, yeah it can allude to come the sh- the shady stuff behind the scenes yeah yeah it's definitely uh, I don't think it's very fair either to the players, especially, you know, um, them having to, you know, if you felt like you feel like you have the right to be paid uh, because you bring money into the school and basically granted you are getting a free education and there is value to that. But at the same time, if you feel still feel like you should be paid and the only route is like an underhanded backsided way, I don't think that's very Fair and granted, uh, you should probably be smart enough not to do that because I mean, you risk a lot of things either getting, you know, like there's been stories about people getting their uh, Heisman taken away, or you know, a Louisville just got championships taken away and Final Four appearances and things like that. So, uh, I truly, I'm in the belief that. You know, with the amount of money that these players bring in, I don't think it's insane to have them being paid at all. And I've heard that other people like uh, in the NBA have also said that as well. Yeah. And I think the thing you have to look at, too, is like a lot of people when they think about college athletes getting paid, you think of like these these superstars that are going to the NBA for sure. And they're like, well, they're getting a free education, this, this and that. But like the way I look at it is. One, those superstars are going to make money regardless and they have their free education, but the number of schools that only have a couple full rides or the amount of walk-ons that go to some of these schools, like I guarantee if you're walking on at Pepperdine or you're good enough to walk on at Pepperdine or like a, a Harvard or something along that lines, they aren't going to pay for your school for two or three years. So you're in the struggle of you're walking on on your own your choice you can't work or anything you also have school what you're going to be missing because you're a student athlete and you're traveling and just like the demand of that sport while you're not being compensated at all and maybe you're still taking out those hefty loans there's a ton of players like that that don't even play in the games like they're like 13th man on the bench and they're just there for the love of the game which is it's awesome for them that they're there but i think they should be rewarded for you know that commitment is because at the end of the day, they don't have to do that. They could just go work at McDonald's or make more money than a college athlete who brings in thousands or millions of dollars to the university or NCAA does. So you think that if it was the case that players got paid, that those players would get paid as well? Well, I think you at the the money amount that the NCAA makes, like if you offered them a minimum wage in their state for... 25 hours a week or 30 hours a week there's definitely enough money there to be spread around or for players no one no one would uh i don't think anyone would complain because the superstars are going to make it anyways and if you have the opportunity to walk on and necessarily get a part-time job i think it's the equivalent 
So almost like a, a subsidy for those college athletes if they aren't getting their scholarship paid for, everything paid for as, you know, the state minimum wage mm-hmm. for their I think that would be fair. Is that how you think like, you know, the full structure would be in your idea or like your mind or how would that? Yeah, differ? I think I mean, I don't think minimum wage is hard to offer. And I think if you off, you can't offer like minimum wage to players that are, you know, walk on opposed to like $15 an hour to your superstars because that that's against what I think call what college athletics stands for at that point. That's just difference in contracts and skill set. But I think if you're paying players minimum wage for their 30 hours a week or however many hours a week they do, or you cut it at cap it at 30 or whatever it is, you get rid of the argument from all sides. Like, uh, equivalent to what I'm working while in college at like 20 hours a week. Like I have enough to pay rent and buy food and kind of buy some, use some disposable income, which is like, I don't need really more than that until I, I leverage my education to get a job. And that's what, you know, the athletics should be in my point of view is leveraging, you know, athletics, you're working up, you're getting paid minimum wage, you're making it through. And then you leverage that education to get a job afterwards. Okay. What I could see happening there is in happening in general, if they start getting paid is you'll kind of like uh, what you see in the NBA, you'll have like super teams starting to form. And granted, there are super teams in college athletics and you'll hear about them as, you know, Kentucky or, you know, your perennial powerhouses of Duke and North Carolina. Um, But I could see it definitely having some severe ramifications on those schools that make runs late, especially in the March Madness, because, you know, oh, why would I go to Richmond if, you know, VCU or Creighton's offering me five grand more or, you know, University of Oregon's offering me 20 grand more? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I think you could look at the NCAA could really be like their fingers really could be in there, though. Like if it's a taxable document and you have someone on top of everything, you're making sure everything's adequate. Or maybe you set across the NCAA just a a, nat, a federal minimum wage for the NCAA. So everyone's making nine bucks an hour or whatever it is where it's equivalent across the board. Or maybe it's six bucks an hour. Or, I don't know how that would work, but you could still make it equivalent across the board and tax it so that you aren't going to states that pay more per state or everyone makes federal minimum wage or whatever it is because and then if someone's offering an extra a bonus or an incentive the nca could be in there like no that's you can't do that or like it gives them the nca more reason than them covering their ass for like oh you gave this player money oh like we don't like that you know Mm -hmm. no that's definitely fair um yeah, I definitely, I, I we both agree on that these players make a huge economic impact in a great way for these universities and the NCAA in general. So I, I do believe that they should have some sort of benefit for the benefit that they are producing, you know, as far as it's basically free labor and they bring in, like you said, without those players, the NCAA doesn't exist and that $10 billion contract isn't there. So I think that they deserve through their hard work effort and what they bring into the community, uh, they deserve some sort of economic benefit, regardless if it's, you know, uh, you free meals or, you know, something like that, just so that they aren't, 
you know, they're producing such a great good and such high dollar amount of revenue that it seems almost misplaced to not give them money or, you know, you're remiss in your responsibility of, of, you know, having these people work for free because they obviously they love the game and want to, but you know, some of them are living like very, very broke college students at the same time. So it's kind of, you see this dichotomy of, well, they produce so much money, but they're also struggling to, you know, feed themselves and stuff like that. I think the funny thing to me is when people are like, well, you know, their, their college athletes are getting free education. And the way I like to look at it is, okay, dude, who said this in my, on Twitter comments, like, I want you to go to your job and your job to produce a billion dollars in revenue and you get paid nothing, but you get free work experience for 40 hours a week. And you can't, I guess they just change free meals, but you get a free meal every now and again. And, uh, yeah, they'll pay for your, your meal plan and you can live in the work dorms or something along that line puts in a lot different perspective for me, at least when some of the people I see comment about it, it's like, you're just comparing it different because you like watching them and you don't, you like watching college sports and you don't want the fact you don't want to understand that they're getting paid or something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's kind of, it is kind of like that. I mean, they're they're as, as somebody who played college sports, you are working that sport for probably, I mean, granted this is just in my head, but I'm saying definitely over 40 hours a week. You're either, you know, thinking specifically me, I was either doing stuff for basketball, working out, you know, meeting with coaches, stuff like that. Um, so it, that's kind of what it is. You put in that time, the, the time that you'd probably be working like that equivalent amount of time, maybe even more, depending on the sport, depending on the program, depending on the athlete and, you know, produce this economic benefit and, you know, to get a free education is very valuable, but in the same point or like the same tune, it's like, is it comparable? Is it equivalent to what they're get like, you know, producing and granted it doesn't need to be, you know, a one-to-one ratio, mm-hmm. but I think it should be a little bit more convergent into the median or middle. Yeah. yeah and I think that's, I think the NCA needs to step in on that too. Cause I think there's a lot of cases you hear about, you know, tutors or like easy a classes like these whatever sport you're playing whether it's volleyball or basketball or track like you're missing a a good amount of class or a good chunk of class in some of these higher sports like any i think the nai has it set up where you only play on weekends most of the time like occasionally you travel but it's like a friday and a saturday or a sunday um but like nca they'll play on you know wednesday night and they'll have to fly or something like that so you're missing a ton of class um and some of these programs have been accused or caught for just giving students a's like oh here's your free education and here's an a in swahili like that's not too beneficial or offering a degree in general studies or like it's just a kind of a weird concept for me to apprehend when they're offering this education and then they're like you know you don't have to take some of these classes but we'll make one that looks like you're taking it so you can get you know get through or maintain that minimum gpa yeah, uh, I do believe that that's kind of more on the players, though, and the fact that it's, you know, nobody's forcing them to take uh, a class about painting 
or, you know, painting 101 or, you know, the your easy A classes that you'll find. Nobody's forcing them to take that. Granted, they might feel pressure to take that just to maintain their GPA or, you know, be able to keep up in school when you're missing a lot of it. Uh, but I think that it's it's it has a lot to do with the players. And granted, like I've I know D1 athletes are former D1 athletes and they tell me how, you know, the tutor situation works and stuff like that. So it's it's definitely here and there as far as you know there's bad sides of that the players are doing to themselves and then your schools are enabling them to do x y or z as well but i think that the education wise like you know if you if the only thing you're getting is a free education make it worth your money i know it might be tough to do physics instead of you know your art degree or you know your leadership or outdoor you know something degree but it definitely is more meaningful for your time. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, I think the smartest thing that's happened is, um, a player from probably like the nineties sued the NCAA because this is where I think the conversation really took a notch up is when for a while the NCAA was baking video games with character, like similarness to real players and using real names. And these players weren't getting paid for that. And I think it was just really smart on that part for who it was that, you know, sued the NCAA said like, like I didn't sign off on being in this video game and you're using my likeness to sell it. I think, I think that was a smart thing. I don't agree with that. Like someone came into your home and took a photo of you and then sold it at Abercrombie and Fitch or something like that. And you were on the wall. You probably wouldn't like that if you weren't getting paid like a good amount or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Which has happened specifically to me only, (laughs) (laughs) but yeah, no, I totally agree with that as well. But with that being said, and let's kind of lean more into the basketball realm. What do you think is the difference between the players or maybe there isn't, but what do you think the difference is between staying in college and trying to go straight to the pros uh we've for the audience jordan and i've talked about this before and i my solution is they you should either be able to go straight out of high school or you should stay in like if you commit to a college you should stay there for three years i think we'll make college basketball better in the fact that you'll have veteran teams you'll be familiar with players um, as it was probably five or six years ago as opposed to like, if you go to high school, that's your choice. I mean, that's how world the world works. Like if you think you're good enough and your people around you are like, yeah, it's a great idea. You're going to forgo playing in college and you go to, you know, to the draft and there's 60 picks and you don't get picked. That's on you. Like you have to understand where you're at and really know because it's happened before. Like look at LeBron or Dwight Howard or Kobe, like those dudes were good and they knew they were good and they made it. And that was them. Like, but if you're a kid who's just going to college to be there for four months, like Ben Simmons, it's just a waste of time. Uh, I think it hurts the NCA overall just because there's no continuity of the teams. And, you know, like that's where you get the scandals of players rather getting paid. Like, oh, I'll get paid for my four months here. And then if it gets caught, well, I'm in the NBA. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I do believe uh, in Steve Kerr, the Golden State Warriors head coach, mentioned this or talked about this point, too. I do believe that if it's for the kids as well, um, that they should also be able to go back to school if they 
go to the draft and don't get drafted and go back to school and the fact that you know they can obviously have the right to go back to school and pursue education but maybe even allow them to pay through their school with their college sports as well i mean it makes it a little bit more dicey but if it is for the benefits of these players uh, i think that that would be something to think about yeah and i think the nba might need to step up their their g league which is their it used to be called the D League, but now it's the G League owned by Gatorade. I think they need to implement a bigger system like that if this is the route things are going and the popularity of the NBA is making maybe a league below that, a more supplemental, almost farmer league type. Because realistically, you have 60 picks for the NBA draft. You have hundreds of international players, which international basketball is becoming huge. Like if anyone tells you, oh, I'll go play overseas, that's not easy. Um, and then you have all these kids out of college or prep schools or whatever it is. I think um, if they added another league, that might help in the long run. Yeah. Well, that's what I think LeVar is doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, he's a weird dude. <laughs> but uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed this uh podcast about March Madness and the plights and the experiences of these college basketball players who are playing and, you know, um, their economic situations and their aspirations to play at a different league and stuff like that. But do you have anything else to tell them? Um, if you guys are running a bracket, invite, invite us. We'll let you know what's up. Yeah, there it is. Thanks, guys, for listening, and we'll see you next one. Later. <laughs>